Lots of news to cover, lots of things to talk about, not the least of which is out of Queen's Park. Earlier today, Premier Ford saying the province is set to end COVID-19 vaccine passports, the passport system, starting March 1. So no more vaccine passport system basically the end of this month and the next day, a couple of weeks starting up March 1. The mask mandate, however, will remain in place. No date for lifting the use of masks or face coverings uh, was given or set. And as well, also noteworthy, capacity limits in all indoor public settings, they will also be eliminated. Now, the Premier making this announcement this morning alongside Health Minister Christine Elliott and Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kieran Moore. Have a listen. The extraordinary measures that we introduced during this pandemic were always intended as a last resort. And I stood at this very podium and promised you that these tools would only be used for as long as they were absolutely necessary and not one day longer. The removal of these measures has always been our objective and something we have collectively worked towards for months now. All right, there's the Premier earlier today. Let's uh, welcome in Dr. Adam Kassam, President of the Ontario Medical Association. Get his feelings on all of this. He joins us now. Doctor, good afternoon. Always nice to have you with us. Just good to be back. All right, uh, first off, uh, what do you make of this announcement uh, this morning? The lifting of the vaccine passport system, is it time? So, Jeff, I think that the past several weeks have been really challenging for folks and there's been decisions and sacrifices that individuals and businesses and even governments have had to make which frankly are probably unenvious uh, positions to be in and and so as far as lifting restrictions now i think the oma accepts that the the restrictions are going to be lifted as long as it's safe to do so we saw dr uh, moore and the chief medical officer of health course understood about the numbers that are very you know positive trends these numbers are coming down hospitalizations are improving icu capacity continues to be robust and so with the measure of, of cautious optimism, I think this is a step in the right direction. And of course, we have to recognize that any of these measures have to be focused on the data and guided by some of the evidence that uh, the Chief Medical Officer of Health has at his disposal. All right. We understand that the Ontario government is also actively looking at in debating uh, moving up uh, the lifting of uh, restrictions, the timeline uh, and the dates. Uh, what's the OMA's uh, position there? Are we ready, do you think, uh, sooner rather than later to start lifting uh, other uh, restrictions? I mean, certainly trends look very positive right now, Jeff. And I think part of what is, uh, you know, the challenge, of course, when we pro- try and prognosticate is we don't know what's going to happen in two weeks from now. But I also know that a lot of folks right out there, especially our patients, are waiting for care. And so these are sort of non-emergency surgeries and procedures that have gone delayed as a result, not only the most recent wave, but of course, over the past 21 months. And so as we start thinking about opening and, and focusing on other parts of the economy, which are very important, we also have to focus on reopening our healthcare system so that people can get the care that Right, which, uh, you know, we talked about last hour, and I'm going to touch on with you here as well. But first, let me ask you about the Ontario government uh, meeting today and discussing COVID measures and the possibility of uh, lifting some of these uh, measures, uh, you know, in a more accelerated or enhanced uh, timeline. Uh, What would your advice uh, be both uh, to the government and to those listening right now as we start to transition, I guess, to that philosophy of uh, learning to live with COVID? 
Yeah, so I think for governments, it's important to, of course, recognize that decisions can be made in both directions as you start having more information and data come to be uh, more relevant. And so this is where we've seen this sort of adjustment happen in real time uh, over the course of the past 20 months. And for for the public and for our patients, I know that there's also going to be an adjustment with uh, comfortability of going into a place or into a restaurant, into retail, but even in other spaces. We know that the mask mandate, of course, continues. We think that that's a reasonable approach forward. And so as we start to dial things up or down, uh, I think it's important that we recognize uh, that this should be guided by data that, of course, changes day to day and week to week. And so this is what makes the next several weeks a little bit more challenging to become accustomed to. But I do think this is a step in the right direction. Mention that mask mandate, it remains in place with this announcement from the Ontario government this morning. But in Alberta, mandatory masking requirements in schools are being dropped today and for kids under 12 in any situation. But the OMA believes that uh, masking is a good idea, that mandate, it needs to stay in place, at least for now? Well, we take the advice of the Chief Medical Officer of Health and, of course, the Public Health Units very seriously. And this is sort of their uh, their directive and their, their direction. I think that right now, as we think about um, how to do this in a cautious way, in a, in a in a, in a comfortable way for folks and for, for other groups. I think this is, again, uh, something that we, we consider to be a, a rational approach forward. Now, of course, things can change. We saw probably a lot of us did yesterday, 70,000 people at the Super Bowl not wearing masks. And so was that something that we're advocating for right now? No, but I do think that at some point uh, there will be a, a trend towards some sort of normalcy. And, and right now we're, we're sort of focused on opening, but also ultimately getting people the care that they need, which includes the surgeries and procedures and other care that's gone to wait. Mentioned those 70,000 plus at the Super Bowl yesterday. Also announced this morning capacity limits in all indoor public settings. They will be eliminated. I mean, an individual restaurant is uh, one thing, but uh, thinking about sporting events and, of course, Scotiabank Arena and the Raptors uh, and the Leafs, uh, are we ready for? Are we prepared for 20,000 congregating in there once again, do you think? Well, I think at some point we're going to get to that point. Um, I, I know that the capacity will be around 10,000 if, if, if we're talking about a 20,000 capacity right now at Scotiabank. And so eventually that, that will come down the line. And I think people are angling for that as we head into the spring and summer summer months and people thinking about even playoffs for, for the Raptors, hopefully, and even hopefully for the Leafs. And so, you know, I think this is something that comes down the line. I think we have to see how the next several weeks go. We have to adjust based on the data that, that uh, our hospitals um, have, as well as, as the public health units have in terms of our capacity to absorb any of the increase in numbers that are probably likely to be seen in some measure. It depends on how we can kind of cope with that. But of course, I think at the end of the day, all of us want to move forward and try to figure out a way uh, to to normalize the next stage of the pandemic, hopefully, which will become an endemic very soon. Joined by Dr. Adam Kassam, president of the Ontario Medical Association. Also wanted to talk to you this afternoon, doctor, about Ontario's surgical backlog. We were discussing this in our last hour. Estimates are upwards of half a million, 500,000 surgeries make up this uh, backlog. How can we uh, possibly start tackling that uh, problem? And just how long do you estimate this uh, backlog is going to take to clear? So it's a significant backlog, Jeff, and it's not only uh, surgeries, which of course, namely, as you were describing, are on the order of nearly 500,000 to to even potentially a million surgeries that have gone delayed, but it's also other care that has been delayed. So think about cancer screenings like colonoscopies or mammograms that have gone delayed. It's also, um, you know, access to primary care, mental health care, and other tertiary care services. And so this really runs the gamut of our healthcare system. And as you're already already described, this is going to take years to get through. And so we have at the OMA uh, a few ideas about 
about how we can actually move forward in the best possible way. And this will sort of involve a collaborative approach by all levels of government, but also uh, health care organizations, institutions, and community partners. So, for example, we think that there are certain types of surgeries and an increase in the number of surgeries and procedures that can be, de- that can be delivered in community-based settings outside of hospitals. We think things like hip and knee replacements in certain types of ENT and skin um, uh, procedures can be done outside of hospitals in order to help offload uh, acute care. We also think, for example, leveraging technology for remote home monitoring, both both pre- and post-operatively, will be helpful, as well as things like centralized referral lists so that the next person who is on a list can actually see the next available provider as opposed to it being sort of, you know, who you know and and, and how how do you get to the next person. And so uh, there are a number of ways that we can leverage technology, but we also have to think about the, the data integration, security, and privacy that go along with that. And, you know, I'm also thinking about our frontline healthcare workers and the burnout that they've uh, already uh, experienced and that they're going through because of the uh, pandemic. Just uh, how much of a factor is that going to play? How tough is it going to be considering that uh, burnout to try to uh, ease this backlog? Jeff, it's an immense challenge right now. Three quarters of doctors over the past year actually described some level of burnout as a result of, uh, you know, the pandemic and everything else that's been going on. And so we also know this is this is true in other uh, for other healthcare providers where, um, you know, perioperative care can actually be compromised by not having enough staff to be able to deliver that care. And so when we think about how do we get through, it's not just uh, about money and, and funding, which is of course important. It's all, and it's not just about physical beds or bricks and mortar infrastructure, which is of course very important. But it's also about the health human resources and the capacity to be able to deliver services. And so all of this put together provided a significant challenge and an uphill battle, but we believe that a collaborative approach uh, and and help with uh, with some of that is going to be very important as we think about the future. Does that need to be the lesson or at least one of them coming out of this pandemic? And as you mentioned a second ago, doctor, hopefully this is getting closer to an endemic than a uh, pandemic, but that we need to have these conversations, this uh, serious and tough conversation about, uh, you know, just how ready our healthcare system was for the pandemic, where we are uh, today with our healthcare system, and where we need to be in the future. No question. This is. I think this is an opportunity to think about what a transformative um, healthcare system might look like in the years um, and decades to come. If we're thinking about what we need as a 21st century healthcare system to address the needs of patients, not only now but into the future, especially with an aging and a growing population, at least in Ontario, we have to think about ways that we can deliver care more effectively, more efficiently, and in a more timely way. And I think that this is an this is an opportunity to have that conversation at all levels of government with all partners and really take the politics out of uh, sort of these, uh, these discussions and really focus on, on care needs that our, our friends, families, and neighbors and our communities need. Dr. Kasim, always a pleasure. Thank you again for the time. Thank you, Jeff. Dr. Adam Kasim is president of the Ontario Medical Association. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.